0: We're continuing with our shipwrecked message series this morning. This is week five of our series. I won't recap all the different weeks, but we talked about things, how pain and suffering can shipwreck our faith. Last week, I talked about how um, imperfect pastors and bad experiences with churches can do it. And I have to tell you, I heard a lot of, uh, a lot of comments from different people uh, really appreciating uh, that message as uh, I think many of us have experienced uh, the fallout of dealing with imperfect people in church. Um, today, as we are on week five of the message series, I want to talk to you about negative influences in our lives. Now, there's an endless amount of negative influences in our lives that we can have. Frankly, your work can be a negative influence in your life, your family can can be a negative influence in your life. There's really no end to different negative influences I can mention, but for the sake of time, and for me, these are kinda three of the big ones, I wanna talk about the negative influence that that Satan has in our lives. I wanna talk about the negative influence our friends have in our lives. And then I wanna talk about the negative influence that our country, society, the world in which we live has in our lives. So we want to start by talking about Satan, and, and you know, th- there's always the joke about Satan made us do it, and if you're my age, uh, and you used to watch Saturday Night Live, you remember the church lady, and for the church lady, it was always Satan that did it. Well, not that special? Who <laughs> could it have been? Let's see, I don't know. Let me see. Let me knock on Mr. Nog. Who could trick
1: us into it?
0: And though we would joke about the fact that Satan makes us do things, he really does have a significant influence in our lives. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And it says, Be alert, be sober-minded, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour now if if we were on a safari, if we were some place in which a lion was lions were roaming i 'm here to tell you 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 wouldn't just be sitting there like chewing the fat and, and walking and talking, you would be on your guard right so we we, we really don't We don't take this seriously because this is how scripture compares Satan to like if you're going through the world and and there's a lion like stalking its prey. When we look at the word Satan, the, the word literally means adversary. And it's a good name for Satan because Satan is an adversary of God. He's always trying to undo what God has done. But not only is Satan an adversary of God, he's an adversary of us. He, he's trying to interfere with our relationship with God. He's trying to cause us to shipwreck our faith. So when you think of Satan, you need to think of the adversary, someone that's working not only against God, but working against you. You know, what's interesting though, when we think of Satan and we talk about Satan, um, oftentimes you think of this just horrible demonic figure. Hideous, grotesque, you know, just evil or maybe the stereotypical like little red thing with like a pitchfork and horns and, and so forth uh, but but what's interesting about satan is that's not how the bible portrays satan if satan w- was just on the surface at least outwardly this horrific looking character this horrific looking being he wouldn't be really good at tempting us because he'd literally you know scare us to the point that it would be ineffective look at how the bible describes satan from second corinthians chapter 11 verse 14 and no wonder for satan himself masquerades as an angel of light now i want you to think can you imagine what an angel of light looks like I mean, can you think of what would be more beautiful than to see this magnificent, beautiful angel of light? It would be a glorious sight, right? Pleasing to the eyes. What's interesting, and I know this because I, I years ago when I did a message and I was talking about Satan, I just, like, i I was kind of curious, like those, like satanic cults kind of, I went to a couple of their websites just to see how they pictured Satan, and they didn't picture him horrific. They they pictured him as this angel of light, this, this beautiful being, which if we understand that he's our adversary, that he's working against God and also working against us, he's a whole lot more effective when he's appealing than when he's not. In 2006, Rice University did, a, did a, uh, a study, and that study showed this, that you and I believe good-looking people more than what we believe less than good-looking people. And so as Satan's trying to shipwreck our faith, the more appealing, the more... Uh, uh, Attractive he can be and to make those temptations the more effective that they will be. All right, as always, I like to root these things in scripture, so we're gonna take a look at a couple different places in scripture where we see Satan having influence in a point of, of shipwrecking faith. The first is gonna be at the very beginning of time. It's gonna be how he does it with Adam and Eve. And then the second is gonna be in the New Testament when he shipwrecks Judas's faith. Let's start, though, looking at Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you mustn't eat from any of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, listen, we can eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but what God did say is this, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. In fact, you can't even touch of it or you will die. You'll certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You're going to know good and evil. Now when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, it was also pleasing to the eye, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. You know, Satan is described as crafty, but, but what he's using, he's using the beauty of the fruit to to tempt Adam and Eve to shipwreck their faith, and so it does. And then when we skip forward to the New Testament, to, to the book of Luke, we see that, that Satan does a similar thing with Judas, one of Jesus' disciples. Look at Luke chapter 22, 1 to 6. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus because they were afraid of the people, the crowds that were following Jesus. So then Satan enters Judas. Notice what it says. Satan enters Judas. If we want to talk about influence, Satan has the ability to actually enter us. And we see that he enters Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12. And then Judas went to the chief priests and to the officers of the temple guard and he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and they agreed to give him money. And he consented and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So how does Satan shipwrecked the faith of Adam and Eve through this desirable fruit. How does he do it with Judas? It's through money. Here's the thing that's interesting about how Satan works. Satan has no ability to create. Let me say that again. Satan has no ability to create. What Satan has the ability to do is to take what God has created and twist it and to work against it, to be an adversary of God, to be an adversary of us, to shipwreck our faith. And that's what he does with the fruit for Adam and Eve and then the money for Judas. My question to you is this. Do you think Satan might be influencing you right now in your life? Do you think Satan might be causing you to be resentful for what you don't have, that you're bitter from what God is even giving you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Satan could be doing that to you. Do you think for some of us in here Satan's getting us distracted because he's causing us to chase after those shiny bright objects? In other words, God has you on a path, but but Satan knows like he, he he's the adversary, he's working against God. He's working against you. He just has to put a few glitter things in your path and you're going to start now chasing them rather than chasing what God the path that God has put before you, absolutely, Satan could be doing that. Do you think that Satan could be causing you to be so worried about your future that you're doubting God's provision? Absolutely. I think what you need to understand about Satan is he is never working for you or for me. He's never working for God. He is our adversary and he's always going to be working against us. So how do we keep Satan from shipwrecking our faith? I'm going to suggest two things. One is through prayer and the other is through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at from Luke chapter 22, 31 to 32. It's a really interesting passage. Jesus is saying this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to shift sift all of you as we satan's asking permission to to sift the disciples as we, but Jesus says this but peter I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail, and when you've turned back, then you will go and strengthen your brothers, so Satan is is trying to shipwreck their faith. But it's through prayer that Jesus is resisting Satan. Which then leads to John chapter 10, 28 to 29, and I think this is significant. It says, Jesus says this, he says, I give them eternal life, and they, they shall never perish, because no one, no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand because my father has given them to me and my father just happens to be greater than all and no one can snatch them from my father's hand. And so what we see is Jesus praying for Peter and ultimately the other disciples, uh, but, but we have this assurance that Satan, even though he's the great adversary, even though Satan's working against us, Satan does not have the ability. You know, we can say the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. Amen. Satan has no ability to snatch you out of Jesus' hands. Jesus says no one can. Satan can't No one can snatch you out of my hand. Now, the truth is, is that because of free will, we can always jump out of God's hand. We have the ability to choose to leave, but no one, including Satan himself, is going to take you from the hand of God. And though we give a lot of the blame to Satan in terms of, maybe negative influence and falling into sin, the next one that I wanna talk about is how our friends can do it. Because th- this is a pretty significant, a pretty significant one. We, um, a few weeks ago when I talked to you about how pain and suffering can cause us to be shipwrecked in our faith, I told you the story of Job. And it's an interesting story because Job was, or Satan was convinced that he could cause Job to become shipwrecked in his faith by causing pain and suffering in Job's life. And you remember, Job lost everything. He lost his kids, he lost his property, he was covered in sores, he, he, he was afflicted beyond comprehension. But, but Job never became shipwrecked in his faith. And so eventually Satan gives up and he flees, but then what you have is you have Job's three friends come and visit. And what's interesting is is, even though Satan wasn't able to cause Job to become shipwrecked in his faith, when, when Job's three friends show up, they almost cause it, because of the, the, the wisdom or the lack thereof, that, that they try to speak into Job's life, because of the influence. Look at Job 42.7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, he says, my anger burns against you and it also burns against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So what Satan was unable to do, the, the influence of the friends almost did it and so what i want what i want you to do is i want you to consider like your closest friends this morning now i have to tell you like i do not remember the sermons i preach if you ask me on wednesday what did you preach on sunday i'm going to give you a blank stare i promise you i will people come up to me all the time saying I just, you know, do you remember when you preach this sermon? And I'm like, no. And then when they, if they say they really liked it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I did preach that. (laughs) And if it was bad, I'm like, it must have been someone else. So I, I don't remember my sermons, but I do remember at least one of my sermons, and not only do I remember it, I know a lot of you remember it because you bring it up to me, and at one time I, I preach a message on, who are your top five? Who are the closest people you have to you and have you considered the amount of influence that they have on your life? Because the reality is, is we are the product, not only of our parenting and stuff of our past, but primarily right now we're a product of the five closest people that we have in our lives. And I want you to consider a few Bible passages about that. Look at Proverbs 13:20. It says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. For a companion of a fool suffers harm. That's as basic as it gets. If you hang out with smart people, you will become smarter by the moment. You hang out with an idiot, you're going to become an idiot. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, do not be misled. Bad company will corrupt good character. And there's not an exception in there for you. Because we think that somehow we can hang around with certain people and, and, and we're insulated from it and it won't affect us. But the truth is, is if you hang around bad company, it's going to rub off on you. And then 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers... For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Let me ask you, what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? The answer is nothing. It says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Light and darkness have no fellowship together. If you have darkness and you insert light, you have light. They don't coexist at the same time. It's one or the other. So literally, take a moment. Take a moment, and I want you to run through a series of names in your mind who are your closest five friends. And hopefully, some names are kind of generating in your mind. And let me ask you this How many of those five friends read the Bible more than you? How many of them actually do read the Bible? Are you sure that they do? How many of your five closest friends go to church more than you? In fact, do they really go to church? In fact, if you were to text them right now, I mean, I really ought to have you just start pulling it. All right, text your five closest friends. Did you go to church? How many of them actually went to church today? I bet you a fair amount of them did not. Or flip that around. How many of them drink more than you? And I'm not talking about water. How many of them are more wild than you? How many of them curse more than you? How many of them are more racist than you? How many of them would you literally consider a good influence on you in that they make you a better person? You see, we wanna surround ourselves with people who will make us into better people. Now, the truth is, is we, in our group of five, we can't, you can't nor should you find five people who are better than you. Because if we're all looking for five people better than us then none of us would ever have anyone because no one would ever have, uh, you know, someone that that is like behind them in terms of maybe their their religious moral character development and so forth. So it it would make sense that there, there ought to be one or two people who, in your group of five, you know what, they're people you can look up to they're people you can get good solid advice from uh, and, and, and they just they're people you can aspire to be you should have one or two people in your, your group of five. Then there should be one or two that are kind of like you. I mean, you're in, you're in a similar place in life in terms of like just your faith walk and, and everything, very similar. And then there should always be one or two like a little bit behind you. Why? Because ideally we want the people we aspire to to, to help make us better people. And ideally we we, we want to take a, a person or two that their their life's a little bit of a mess and they don't kind of have it together that maybe we can help and, and bring along the way don't fall into the trap that where you think that like it doesn't matter who your friends are because they don't have an influence on you because the truth is is we're highly influenced by not only our friends but by other people this is what 's crazy is what you don 't realize is is the influence that people have in our lives, not just our friends, but I would argue your coworkers have influence in your lives you know anyone that that you listen to or talk to honestly even strangers have an undue amount of influence in your life that's why you worry about what you look like when you leave the house you you don't know these people you'll never see them again but you you're under undue influence by what you think they might think I want to show you this video. I've, I've never shown this one in church before, uh, before today. But if you've been to some of my Bible classes, I'm pretty sure I've shown this one before in, in one of my Bible classes, but it shows just the level of influence that others have on us, even strangers.
1: What causes us to make decisions in life? We think the answer is obvious people know what's good for them. They weigh their options and make a rational decision. When a waiter in a diner asks you if you'd like to order dessert after a meal, the answer is easy. My belly isn't full plus I love sweets equals, of course I'd like dessert. In other words, you make your own decisions. But what if there's four other people sitting at the table with you and each of them already said no thank you when asked if they would like dessert? Do you change your answer? What's happened here is explained by Jonah Berger, Stanford PhD and professor of marketing at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania in his new book, Invisible Influence, The Hidden Forces That Shape Behavior. In 1951, Solomon Ash set up a similar experiment asking people which of these lines is the same as this one, A, B, or C? Even though the answer is obvious, many people answered C. How could that be? Just like at the diner, the actual subject of the test was choosing last. Before him were paid actors that gave the same wrong answer: C, C, and C. They influenced the subject to conform just as you conformed a decline dessert. Nonsense, you say. That's true for others, but not for me. I am free from influence. I see through the fog of external factors to make objective and powerful decisions. But Jonah Berger shows that these influences are often so strongly embedded in our nature, they're practically impossible to resist. In fact, it is not just humans. Many animals are affected by influence, even cockroaches. In 1969, Robert Zion studied the effects of a crowd on racing cockroaches. The result? Cockroaches ran faster when being watched. How amazing is that? That's not all. The same audience made them run slower when Robert made the race more difficult. Later studies showed the same happens to humans. This means you're better off finding a private spot when you're doing something difficult and gathering around people when you're doing something easy. Jonah explains that this susceptibility to external influences isn't good or bad. If we weren't able to react subconsciously to many different situations, life would be very inefficient. But if we learn how these influences affect us, we can use them to make our lives better and that of those around us.
0: How significant is influence? Even if you're in a room with strangers who are being paid to say something that clearly isn't true, their influence is gonna cause many people to change what they say. Even cockroaches succumb to influence, I'll never think of a cockroach the same. But when we think of our group of five, here's the problem is, is in our group of five, for most of us in here, our group of five would profess to be Christian. But, but, but the problem is that is like, they don't know what Christian is because they're not in church today because they don't read the Bible. And, 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 and because they don't read the Bible and they don't really go to church, you think when you go to them, you're getting Christian advice, but you're actually not. You're getting worldly advice. You're getting Uh, wicked advice because they're Christian in name only. We're told that that's just how it's going to become towards the end of time. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. It says, but mark this, there's going to be terrible times in the last days because people are going to just become lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boastful. They're going to be proud. They'll be abusive. They will be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful and unholy. They'll be without love. They'll be unforgiving. They'll be slanderous. They'll be without self control, brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and then this is the part that I always say having a form of godliness now think of your interactions with your group of five how many of those characteristics have summarized some of your most recent conversations with them I mean they, they, they claim to be Christian but they've got this form of godliness but they deny its power notice what it says it doesn't say be careful do you see that last sentence it doesn't say be careful around these people Look look at that last sentence. It doesn't say, only hang around them occasionally. It says, have nothing to do with such people. Why? Because you think they're Christian. You, you, You think they're godly, but they only have a form of it, but they deny its power. Satan has a great amount of influence into our lives. Our friends have a tremendous amount of influence in our lives. And honestly, when it comes to society and this world in which we live, there's a tremendous amount of influence in our lives. And once again, I want to go to the scripture to illustrate this, this point. And, and this point that I, I want to illustrate is, uh, it, it's one of those more difficult passages of scripture because it has to do with when Israel's entering the promised land. And if I get any kind of complaints upon God, it's, it's always this, like, you know, why was it when Israel entered the promised land, God told them that they had to wipe everyone out along the way? the answer is, is because of influence. Now, what's interesting is when God gave them the land under Abraham, Abraham wasn't able to take possession of it yet because one of the things that God said is their wickedness hadn't reached to that point, uh, 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 the severity of the divine judgment. But by the time Israel comes out of Egypt, it has. And God knows that if if he allows those other religions, those other cultures, those pagans, those value systems, some of which were even sacrificing children, if he allows them to stay, that, that they will then influence the leaders of Israel, and when the Israel's leaders are influenced, the people will be influenced and ultimately Israel will fall away. So before you come complaining to me that like, why would God do this? Why would he wipe out men, women, children? Why would he wipe out everyone in the promised land? I I want to know what's your idea. How would you have handled it if you were God? What's a better idea? Should God have allowed them to stay so that they would have actually started believing these false religions, these false gods, these false value systems, so that they would fall away from God, so that God can send his Messiah into this world, so that in about 10, 20, 30 years when you die, you spend eternity in hell? Is that what you'd prefer? And if it's not what you'd prefer, then give me your idea that would be better. So, so God tells Israel, wipe them all off face of the earth. Look at Deuteronomy 20, 16 to 18. He says, you are, are, as you enter the promised land, not to leave even one person alive in the cities of these nations that the Lord your God is about to give you as an inheritance. You must completely destroy the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. So that they won't what? So that they won't teach you to do all the horrible, wicked things that they're doing for their gods. If you do what they teach you, you'll be sinning against the Lord your God. So, I mean, it seems harsh, but it's the only solution because of the impact of influence and honestly, Israel didn't do that great at it because they did leave a few people around and they ended up influencing Israel. Israel ended up wanting a king and so they ended up making treaties with other nations and so other nations' influence did come into Israel. And then you got Solomon who's marrying 700 women, having 300 concubines. Many of them are coming from other like nations and he wants them to be able to worship their God. So he's even building false temples of worship so his wives can worship there. And, and what we see with israel's you have this kind of like you know falling away and then being restored falling away and being restored and here we are in our country in which you and i live in the world in which we live today and what's interesting is is america for the most of our history uh, we were a god-fearing nation And we're a God-fearing nation because it was really founded by people who fled religious persecution, but it was Christians persecuting persecuting Christians. So they came to America and and they brought those Christian values and and those Christian beliefs. And it was that way for most of our, our nation's history. But in the last hundred years, as technology has increased, travel's increased, and and communication's increased. And I shouldn't even say the last hundred years, especially the last 50 years. And I really shouldn't even say the last 50 years. I've seen it, especially in the last 30 years, like, like everything's gone to pot. Why? Well, because we've always been a melting pot, but now more than ever, right? Like some of you can get on a plane this afternoon, and tomorrow you'll be in any part of the world you want. You in, in 30 minutes, you can get on your computer, you can get on your phone, and you can be talking to anyone across the world. And so you have all of these different value systems, all of these different beliefs and, and, and so forth, all being put together, and, and you take some of this and some of that, and, and it, it just becomes a big pile of, of mush. And, and because of that, we're like, we just we kind of accept other people's beliefs and practices that's why during oktoberfest a bunch of y'all that aren't even german will go to oktoberfest i lived in an irish catholic community when i was in seminary and and like you were more than welcome on saint paddy's day to drink the green beer and have the corned beef and cabbage right It's just, you know, everyone just kind of embraces all the different cultures and the different practices. And and so now we're, we live in a time in which like things that have historically just been nonsense and wrong are, are just accepted, for, for God-fearing nations, Judeo-Christian, or, or, or you take even you know, Islam or whatever, like the, the, these, these value systems that are, are based on uh, you know, the God of Abraham. Like, it's never been okay to be gay. Now it's not only okay to be gay, it's great to be gay. In fact, we're going to celebrate it for a month. We're going to promote it. We're going to encourage it. Why? Because when you take this value system and this value system and this belief and that belief, you mush it all together. If I've got a big bowl and I'm mixing 100 ingredients together, you're never going to separate those back out. And that wasn't enough, right? So now it's not just great to be gay and we're going to really encourage people to, to do that for a month. Now it's like, you know, why don't you just take it the next step? Change your gender too. And it's not only gone in that direction morally, but religiously, we've done the same. Because religiously, there used to be something called sin, something called wrong. But because you take this religion's view system, this religion's value system, and you mix all these different things together, then what's right and what's wrong? And the answer is, as well, nothing really is. As long as it doesn't hurt someone else, don't worry about it. So the church doesn't even talk about sin anymore. Well, if there's no sin, then you don't have a hell because if you don't break the law, you don't need prisons, right? Right? If you don't break the law, you don't need prisons. If there's no sin, there's no hell. And if there's no sin and there's hell, you don't need a savior. Where do you need a savior from? So now there's millions of different ways you can be saved. You don't need Jesus. You, you, I mean, you might go through this religion or you go through that religion or you're just a heck of a nice guy. And this is what the influence of the world has become in our life today. So many pagan influences. And this is what your kids are learning in school. And this is what you're teaching your kids because you're going to your top five and you're getting advice from them and they claim to be Christian, but they're really not. They just have a form of godliness, but they're actually all these you know, things that is mentioned there. And then like your kids are learning from you. I wanna ask you this painful question. How many of us in here have lost a loved one or a family member to the lies of modern society. How many of us have had lost a kid, a grandkid, a loved one that has bought into, into the influence of this pagan world in which you and I live? And I bet you most of us in here have. The problem is, is what are you going to do about it? Do you reject them and and lose the relationship with them? Or do you embrace them and say, "Uh, I love you anyways. In fact, God loves you. You see why I say life's messy? It's incredibly messy because we make it that way. And my question is, is in all of this madness that's going on, how do we turn it around? And my answer to you is this, we don't, and we won't. Because is being fulfilled. Once all of this has been mixed together in a giant blender, you can't separate these ingredients. It's gonna continue, this, this path that we're on. Look at Matthew 24, which is about the end of the world. It says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold but it's the one who stands firm that will be saved. The wickedness is going to continue. In fact, it says just a few verses later, look at Matthew 24, 22. It says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. It's not going to turn around. The only thing that's going to save any of us is that at some point, God's going to cut it short. You know, 60 Some days ago, or however long it was, we saw those horrific images of people storming, Hamas storming into Israel. Busting through the fences, going to where the the festival goers are. Not only that, but like going to the homes that were near those border regions, literally busting into those homes where moms and dads were making breakfast for their for their small children, or or elderly were were ju- just living out their final days. And it was horrific. Not only for the people that 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 before they knew it were being shot and killed, but then then the images of all those that were being drug back across the border and be ta- taken against their, their, their will, their knowledge of even knowing what was going on, captivity back into, uh, into Gaza. That's what's going on every day from a spiritual perspective in the world in which you and I live. You just don't realize it. You're getting up in the morning and you're making breakfast. You're driving to work. You have all of these different things going on, but this great evil's coming and, and literally kidnapping you, shipwrecking you, it, 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 and taking you hostage, and you don't even realize it. Because of the influence of, of Satan, because of the influence of your friends, And because of the influence of society itself, literally like evil's grabbing hold of us, shipwrecking us, and we don't even realize it. We have to be aware of the impact of the ungodly forces in our lives because we have an adversary that is working against us, that is like a a lion looking to see who he can devour. May God open your eyes so that your faith would not be shipwrecked and to be able to guard against that of your kids and your grandkids and of all of those who are near or dear in your life. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, as we hear this word today, we, we live in a, a time in which unbeknownst to us, Everything's been turned upside down and so much seems normal that just shouldn't. And the adversary has taken not only many of our loved ones hostage by the negative influences of this world, but even some of us in here as well. Open our eyes to your word. Open our eyes to to truth. Help us, gracious God, as we look at the five closest people in our lives to see their words, their actions, and their deeds for what they are. And just because people claim to be Christian, but they don't submit and surrender their values and and, and their way of living to you, In the end, gracious God, help us to see that it's simply a form of godliness, but without any of its power. Protect not only us, but all those whom we love. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.